Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Anita, for ministering in music. We reflect on Christ. We know that long before Christ came, God was at work in history through the prophets. And as we interact with one of the prophets this morning, Habakkuk chapter 2, I trust that you'll be open and sensitive to God and his desire to work in our lives. As a pastor, there are questions I've been asked repeatedly over the years. Here are several of them. If God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't he fix all the problems in the world and heal people? Another one I've been asked repeatedly. I've asked God repeatedly for some items. Why doesn't he answer me? What is God's will for my life? Individuals who ask questions often want to know why God does not answer. Habakkuk asked the Lord some tough questions and received answers. Why does the Lord answer some people but doesn't seem to answer others? Think about that as we read and discuss Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning with verse 2. Habakkuk 2, reading verses 2 through the end of the chapter. Write down the revelation, or then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes takes captive all the peoples. Would not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not awake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk 
so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You who will be filled with shame instead of glory, now it is your turn, drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and this grace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed man's blood, and you destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it, or an image that man or that teaches lies? For he who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stones, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the, all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 and 4, presented some questions to the Lord and some lament to the Lord. The Lord graciously responded in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, explaining that Israel is going to be disciplined, punished by the Lord through Babylon, Babylon being a very evil nation. As a result of that, Habakkuk came back to the Lord And basically said, Lord, I don't understand. How can you take a nation more evil than us to punish us, to discipline us? And then the Lord is responding in chapter 2, explaining what is going to happen to the nation of Babylon. The word then in verse 2, then the Lord replied, shows that the question Habakkuk presented in verse 17 is being answered. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Then the Lord replied. The Lord is responding to Habakkuk. But between chapter 1 and verse 17 and chapter 2 and verse 2, we find Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he says to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. God is giving an answer to Habakkuk, but Habakkuk was listening, waiting, watching. The answer by the Lord is being given to an earnest seeker who is willing to accept the Lord's answer and live in light of the Lord's answer. And I emphasize again, the answer is being given to an earnest seeker who is willing to accept and live in light of the Lord's answer. It's very significant in the book of Habakkuk that Habakkuk asked, he listened, he asked, He listened, and then when we get to chapter 3, we find Habakkuk's prayer and basically saying, God, I surrender. I will trust you. The structure of the passage that we're considering here in chapter 2 deals with three distinct parts. In verses 2 and 3, there's a statement of revelation. God says, I'm going to reveal. 
In verses 4 and 5, there's a summary of the indictments against the nation of Babylon. In chapter, in verses 6 rather through 20, we find the amplification of the indictments against Babylon. See, Babylon is going to discipline Judah. And Habakkuk said, Lord, I can't follow this. A more evil nation is going to discipline us, your people. And the Lord says, well, I'm going to deal with Babylon also. Notice in chapter 2, then the Lord replied. The Lord is responding to an earnest seeker who asks and is listening. And according to verse 2, he says, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What Habakkuk is receiving is part of God's ongoing revelation of revealing himself to mankind. God began with Moses. Moses was one of a kind of prophet. He set the standard for prophets. Other prophets came on the scene. Habakkuk is one of them, giving revelation that is profitable in that day, that is profitable in our day, and then the ultimate prophet, the final prophet, Jesus Christ, came on the scene. Notice also in verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The words awaits, linger, wait, will certainly come will not be delayed, indicate that God is working out his purpose. When he speaks of Babylon, and the judgment of Babylon is some 70 plus years down the road. So he's saying to Habakkuk, linger, wait, but it will happen. See, Habakkuk had to take God at his word. What God spoke, he had to take and then respond to it. It's interesting that God uses questions. Habakkuk is raising questions. God uses questions. Look at verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? That's the Lord posing a question. In verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not awake? And make you tremble, the Lord posing a question or questions. In verse 13, the Lord says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Verse 18, What value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or verse 20, or 19, I'm sorry. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stones, wake up. Can it give guidance? Habakkuk raises questions. God responds with some questions as he answers. And notice in verse 4, in the midst of God answering, he says, the righteous will live by faith. Quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 1, quoted also in Hebrews, that the righteous 
live by faith. And that stands in contrast to what is said in the early part of the verse. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him and so on. In the midst of judgment of Babylon, the Lord says the righteous live by faith. We see in this passage much of what God does not like. Look at verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Now God's giving an indictment there. In verse 9, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. He must not like unjust gain. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Or verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Apparently Babylon did that. That happens in our world and in our country today. Verse 19. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. No, God doesn't like idols. So God is responding to Habakkuk after Habakkuk's questions. The Lord is speaking, and remember the Lord in caps. We're talking about Jehovah. We're talking about Yahweh the one who had a covenant with the nation of Judah. God made a covenant with them. And he is responding to them. The nation is going to be judged. The nation is going to be disciplined. But yet there is hope because there's a covenant. Discipline is not the end. The purpose of the revelation being given is for future use. Clearly stated in Verse 2. What was given to Habakkuk, again, was revealed. It would not be known unless God revealed it. Look at verse 2. Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. Apparently it was to be shared. For the revelation waits an appointed time, it speaks of the end. And though it prove, or it will not prove false, though it lingers, wait for it, it will certainly come and not delay. God's giving a promise to Habakkuk, but he's going to have to wait some 70 plus years. And then he says in verse 4, see he is puffed up. Who does the he refer to? Go back to chapter 1 and verse 17. Is he to keep on emptying his nets, destroying nations without mercy? Again, the he is referring to, and as you look at the flow of the context, the he is referring to the nation of Babylon. The Lord says, see, he, Babylon, is puffed up. The idea of puffed up is the swelling, you know, getting bigger. It's kind of like this. We have a balloon. I can blow into it. 
Babylon was puffed up. They got more puffed up. And more puffed up. He is puffed up. Excuse the noise. So he is puffed up. Reminds me where the Hebrew, again, is used in Numbers 14 and verse 44, where the children of Israel were to go into the promised land. You know, Kadesh Barnea, 10 spies came back and said, we can't do it. Two said, yes, you can. And the nation of Israel rebelled. And God said, you know, you're going to die in the desert. And Moses said, don't go up because the Lord will not go with you. And scripture talks about the fact that in their treachery, they're being puffed up. They went up anyways to fight. But Moses didn't go. They were proud. The Lord says, Babylon is puffed up. And then he also says, his desires are not upright. No, they're not on the level. They're not straight. The desires of Babylon were not on target. They weren't correct in light of God's standard. And it's interesting that he addresses desires. Later on, he addresses their action. But here he says, his or Babylon's desires are not upright. That resulted in all kinds of action. And it's in that context then, we find the word but. Babylon, puffed up, desires are not upright, but the contrast, the righteous will live by faith. Babylon lived according to their standard, their pride, their arrogance. The contrast is the righteous will live by faith. Taking God at his word, not looking to self, they live by faith. Faith is to depend upon or trust in relating to God. An example of that is in the life of David. He had been anointed king, but he fled from Saul for many years. And on one occasion, he had the opportunity to kill Saul. And he said, I can't kill the Lord's anointed. The Lord set him up. The Lord will have to take him down. He exercised faith in God by not killing King Saul, waiting for God's timing as to when he would become king. There was a dependency. There was a trust. Faith is a waiting for deliverance. God had already said in verse 3, for the revelation waits an appointed time. God is giving a revelation to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk had to wait. Faith is no demand for freedom or an easy life, but remaining under the trial to obey God. At the end of the book, Habakkuk says, I'll trust in God. This is going to be a wow until God responds. I'm not going to demand freedom. I'm not going to demand an easy life. I will wait. The primary context here is not salvation, where a person 
comes to faith in Christ, the context is dealing with a man of God who already has a relationship with God and he lives by faith. Habakkuk taking God at his word. Obedient commitment. Faith waits. Taking the Lord at his promise. Notice in chapter 3, in verse 16, Habakkuk is displaying faith. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay kept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's taking God at his word. The righteous will live by faith. But then the Lord goes on, goes back to Babylon. In verse 5, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Betrays is the same verb as treacherous in chapter 1 and verse 13. Wine is deceptive and unreliable. It impoverishes, it confuses, and it destroys. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Proverbs 23 and verses 20 and 21. Isaiah 28 and verse 7. Listen as I read what Isaiah says concerning wine. And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priest and prophet stagger from beer. They are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. Referring to leaders in Israel. But says wine has had a negative impact upon them. Babylon. Wine betrayed Babylon. His arrogance is never at rest. The exaltation of themselves in Babylon was never at rest. He gathers to himself in verse 5 all the nations and takes captive all the people. See, wine betrays. There is arrogance. There is greed as the grave. Death is never satisfied. Babylon's greed was never satisfied. So what does he do? Babylon took nation after nation after nation. And we can read a portion of scripture like this and we'll pick up with verse 6 next week and say, that was written many years ago. Does it have any bearing today? I think there are some very strong applications for us today as it relates to living well. And one would be, questions for the Lord should be asked. It's good to ask God questions, but ask with understanding the nature of a relationship. The creature is asking the Lord, but there's a covenant relationship. The Lord had a covenant relationship with Israel. The Lord has a covenant relationship 
through Christ with the body of Christ today, the body of Christ being his bride. But in asking, acknowledge the character of the Lord. Habakkuk talks about the Lord everlasting, holy, judgment. He's sovereign over nations. Lord, I'm coming to you. I acknowledge you as Lord, your master. You are the Christ. But also asking with understanding that there's a standard that has been established for relationships. Habakkuk is asking, but he understood that a standard had been established in the Mosaic law. And that's what began this. Because within Israel, he says, the standard has been violated. And then asking that there's a history of the Lord's dealing with his covenant people. God dealt with Israel in various ways, but also a history of the Lord dealing with nations of the world. Habakkuk is asking with understanding the Mosaic law, that God established a covenant, that God had dealt with Israel, and God dealt with the nations. Asking implies listening, waiting for an answer, humbly, no demands for specific response. Lord, why? If you ask that, then be willing to wait. Lord, I don't understand what I'm going through. If you're asking that, then be willing to wait. Habakkuk waited. He listened. We don't know if he waited weeks or months, but he was listening to the Lord. Many, if not all, of the Lord's answers come through what God has already revealed. For Habakkuk, it was the Mosaic Law, Exodus 20 plus. It was understanding that the Lord said, Israel, if you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'll curse you. Also the prophets before. For today, I think we understand God and his answers as we understand how he dealt with Israel, the Mosaic law. But we also have Christ today. We have the body of Christ. We have the epistles. And we have local shepherds. We come to God with a question. Are we willing to consider how God dealt with the nation of Israel? how he used the Mosaic law, how he spoke through Christ, that he uses the body of Christ, he uses others within the body. The epistles say a lot in answering questions. And then God clearly says in Hebrews that he wants to use local shepherds and guiding and directing people.
in my own experience with God, I've asked a lot of questions. I get answers to most of them, but not always quickly. But those questions, whether mine or yours or Habakkuk's, are answered in faith. Whatever you say, Lord, I will accept and live in light of your answer. Habakkuk has no more questions after chapter 2. He says, okay, Lord, I surrender. If we ask God's, God questions with an intent to evaluate his answer and contend with him, then we're not living by faith. Habakkuk asked, God answered, Habakkuk asked, God answered, and Habakkuk said, okay, I surrender. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I will simply obey. So be willing to ask questions, but be willing to accept the answer and surrender. And that's the test of faith. When we cease arguing with God and saying, I have the answer. So why does God allow suffering? I think he's answered that. Why does God allow death? I think he's answered that. But why at this time? Do you ever seek counsel? God answers our questions if we're willing to respond in faith. We can have faith because of Christ, and we want to sing about Christ before we reflect on Christ through communion. Travis?